Well, here we go. The new Parsha, the new Recording book. Recording in progress. Of Parsha Shemot. Shemos. It literally means names. Shame is a name, and Shemot means names. So, in the way we refer to it in Hebrew, we call this whole book Shemot, the book of names. In English, of course, you call it Exodus, which sounds suspiciously similar to exit. <coughs> Exodus, the Jews leaving Egypt, but in Hebrew, actually, it's called the book of names, which is a very interesting fact. Well, Let's go and begin. Verse 1. These are the names of the children of Israel. Who had come to Egypt. Et Yaakov. Jacob. With Jacob. Et Yaakov. So the word et is tricky. Because sometimes it means. It just means almost nothing. God, I mean God forbid it doesn't mean nothing. But it, it's. Is like the et hashemayim, the heaven. You could just say hashemayim. You say et hashemayim. Et Yaakov could be Yaakov, but actually makes more sense that they translate it here with Jacob. Ish ubeito ba'u. Each man in his household came. Says Rashi. Rashi is addressing a question. We're about to have all the names of of the of the tribes, the children of Yaakov, and um. We know the names of the tribes. We've already had them counted and listed earlier in the Torah. So why is this happening again? And particularly in this context that all the sons came, went down to Egypt, we've already had that. So why is the Torah repeated? Rashi says, even though they were counted in their, during their lifetime by their names, the Torah goes and counts them again. In their death, meaning after their death, to demonstrate how the affection that God has for them, and by extension the Jewish people, they're compared to the stars, as Isaiah says, which he takes out from beyond the horizon and brings in by number and by name. He calls them all by name. Very interesting, I mentioned in the past that each of the books of the Torah, if you look in the Rashi, the very first Rashi on, on the book, there's something very beautiful um, about the Jewish people. Something very uh, affectionate about the Jewish people. Verse 2, Reuven, Shimon, and that also gives us, you know, the, I mentioned earlier that the whole book is named, named names, and so now it gives it a little bit more background and understanding why it might be called names. If it's just names, then why call a book names? But if it's actually expressing God's love and affection for these people, then it makes sense because perhaps this is why and how they're going to survive the exile. This is kind of before we even get into the exile. We're putting that uh, as the foundation. It's going to keep them alive during the, during the oppression. Verse 2, they're strengthening their core. Verse 2, Ruvain Shimon, and also the key to us of how we survive the exile is by remembering this, remembering our names, our Jewish names, and the affection that God has for us. So what are those names? And these are the names of the tribes which relate to all of us, even though we may come from one particular tribe, but we have aspects of the virtues of each of these tribes within us. 
So what are their names? Ruven, Shimon, Levi, and Yehuda. Yisachar, Zvulun, and Yaman. Don, and Aftali, God, and Asher. Verse 5. Ayikol, Nefesh, Yitzhi, Yerech, Yaakov, Shivim, Nefesh. All who descended from Jacob were 70 souls. I'm getting into the uh, Pesach tune somehow. It came to me. Yosef was in Egypt. So we mentioned er, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we learned about the 70 souls, that there's a reason that it's 70. It corresponds to the 70 nations of the world. And the Jewish people are go down to Egypt to go through the crucible to get the Torah, receive the Torah. And the point of all that is to be a light onto the nations through the values of the Torah the morality of the Torah, and thereby influence all of humanity, which is broadly described as the 70 nations, hence the 70 souls that go down to Egypt to begin that process. Says Rashi, why does the Torah say Joseph was in Egypt? Is that news to us? I mean, we read like two or three parshas about it. And they're included in the 70. It's not like Joseph was in Egypt and so it's 70 that came down, and plus Joseph, who was already Egypt. No, Joseph is part of the count of the 70. So why is it telling us that Joseph was in Egypt? Do we not know that? It is to tell you, says Rashi, the righteousness of Yosef. This is the same Yosef that was the shepherd for his father. You ever heard the expression... Don't forget us when you make it to the top. All the people, you know, so people change. You've changed since you've, you know, had your success. What about Yosef? Was he a different person from when he was shepherding the flocks of his father to now being the king of Egypt? So I was giving kind of the, uh, the metaphor of, you know, sometimes people can become haughty and... and uh, better than thou. But here Rashi is actually from the Sifrei, is talking about the righteousness of Yosef. And so in a similar vein, people could be very uh, pious and religious when they live in the shtetl. But once he made it big and he moved to the big city and he's got the penthouse on toidy toid and toid, and now he's a big macher. He's a big shot. Is he still as religious as he was when he was just a simple guy in the shtetl. So that's the question about Yosef. And, and, and the Torah says, Yosef Joseph was in Egypt. The Joseph that was in Egypt, that was the same Joseph that was his father's shepherd back in the day. He retained his righteousness. And it was really deeply baked into him. It wasn't just something that he did because of external circumstances. You know, he was in the right environment. Even without the environment, he was able to maintain it and sustain it. Verse 6. Joseph and all his brothers died. And that entire generation passed away. Now what happens? The Jewish people have a population explosion. The Torah uses no less than six verbs to describe this explosion. Paru, from the word pri, like fruit, fruitful. Swarming, like shadows, creeping um, creatures. Vayirbu, a lot. Rab, harbe. Vayatsmu. Uh, very strong. I'm sorry, it's not six 
verbs. So paru vayishu vayirbo vayatsmo, and then two adjectives meod meod very very. So that's six. Wait, sorry. Vatimali hardets eisam the land became filled with them. There you have a fifth verb, and then two strong adjectives. Rashi tells us this is no accident. There's no accident in the Torah. All of these expressions, these six expressions, is to tell you that they were having sex tuplets. They bore six children at each birth. Mazel tov, mazel tov, mazel tov, mazel tov, mazel tov, mazel tov. Or mazel tov times six. Verse eight. A new king arises on Egypt. Is this really a new king? Ah, yes. Rashi will tell us. Asher lo yada seisiv, who did not, not know Joseph. Did he really not know Joseph? Or did he make like he didn't know Joseph? Let's see Rashi. Yakomelachadash, a new king arose, Rav Ushmuel. There's a debate in the Talmud between the two great sages, Rav and Shmuel. Chad Omar Chadash Mamish. One of them says, one of these sages says this was a brand new king. It really means new, Mamish, literally. And one said, that his, his decrees became new. It was the same old king, but he had changed his ways. He was acting like a new king. And so, so what does it mean he didn't know Joseph? It's the same king. How could he not know Joseph? According to that opinion, says Rashi, he made as if he didn't know Joseph. Joseph? Joseph who? I don't remember any Joseph. Verse 9. We talked about this in one of the classes. And, you know, here we see it, where Joseph had done so much for the country. But when push came to shove, they um, forgot about him and everything he had done. Just like the cupbearer forgot what Joseph had done for him in the, in, in the, in the, in the prison. They forgot about everything he did. Verse 9, el He said to his nation, The children of Israel, behold, they are rav. They are more numerous, and stronger than we are. They're dangerous. Let us be wise. For the word chacham over here. Let's be shrewd. Let's be shrewd. Penirbe, let him be lest they increase. Perhaps there will be a war one day. And he will be added on to our enemies. He'll be a fifth column. And he will wage war against us and depart from the land. Or in another interpretation that Rashi cites, they're gonna kick us out of the land. We're gonna go up from the land. Says Rashi, Nishak Maloi, let us deal shrewdly with them. Rabbi Seinu Darshu, our sages gave a homiletic interpretation here. Nishakim Lameshin Shal Yisrael, the Dainim Bamayim, they're not just, it's okay, so, so what's the source of this thing? Nishak Maloi is singular. Loi, to him. He translates as with them because it's a nation, but literally it is Nishak Maloi. Which means one person. Who's that one person that they want to act shrewdly with or about? Says our sages, 
let us actually limoishion so you saw to the savior of the Jewish people will later be Moses. They don't know his name yet. So they perceive, I'm sorry, I'm making a mistake. Um, the Savior of Israel is God. The Savior of Israel is God. And let us be wise with God, the Savior of Israel. And how are we going to be shrewd with God? That we are going to um, afflict them by killing them through water. Now, why is that shrewd? Because we know that God always punishes measure for measure. And so in their, in their calculation, they said, if we're going to punish, the, if we're going to afflict the Jews with water, God will have to punish us with water, with a flood, but God has already promised that he's not going to bring a flood to the world. So that was the chokhmah that they came up with, the brilliant plan that they came up with, that they were going to afflict the Jews with water. Of course, that meant throwing the, the uh, newborns into the Nile, thinking that they would outsmart God's system of justice. In the parentheses, it explains why their logic was a bit faulty. What does it say? They did not understand that when God promised not to bring a flood in the world, He's not going to bring a flood to flood the entire world. That's what it was in the contract with Noah, the promise. But it was a very carefully worded contract. To flood or bring or, 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 or um, punish one nation with, with water that God would do. And indeed, he did with the Egyptians who chased the Jewish people into the sea and that became their burial ground. Verse 11. They appointed over them tax collectors. Misim are taxes. Mas is a tax. Sari misim. Sarim, like Sar is an officer. So Sari misim are officers of taxes. Leman in order to afflict them with their burdens, by even they built storehouses, so or store cities, cities of storehouse storage houses, as for Paro, Pistom, and Ramses. So Rashi tells us what is the tax? What exactly was the tax that was placed upon them? That was that they should build these cities of storage. Rashi tells us that Pisum and Ramses were really unfit for this type of construction. And they strengthened them. It was the, 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 the job of the Jews to strengthen them and fortify them for storage. Like building for, on, for Foster City over there. Verse 12, The more the Egyptians afflicted them, So did the Jewish people. Multiply, and so did they gain strength. You may recognize this word, Peretz. That was one of Yehuda's sons from Tamar, the one who's the ancestor of Mashiach. We also had with Yaakov, God blessed him, Uforatsto, Yom of that you'll be strong and go forth strongly to all directions. And they were disgusted because of the children of Israel. So this is a very famous phrase. That typically when people are afflicted, they kind of shrivel up. And here was the opposite, that no matter how much they tried to afflict them, the Jewish people continued to grow and to be strong. 
says Rashi, and as much as the Egyptians were trying to afflict the Jewish people, God was strengthening them and multiplying them. Rashi, the Medrash says, that God is saying, these words, is actually God's words. Because the, the, the Egyptians had said, lest, or Pharaoh had said, pen yirbe, back up here in um, verse 10, pen yirbe, perhaps, or lest, I'm sorry, lest they increase. So God says, you say lest they increase, kein yirbe, indeed they will increase. Bechein yifreit, they will be strong. Ayakutsu, they became disgusted with the Jewish people. Says Rashi, they became disgusted with themselves. It's a deep psychological idea right there. Our sages say they were like thorns. The Jews were like thorns in their eyes. 13. So the Egyptians enslaved the children of Israel or perech, which is back-breaking labor, crushing labor. As Rashi says, uh, uh, very difficult labor, hard labor, which crushes the body and breaks it. Rambam translates it as endless and purposeless. Torah says you're not allowed to do this to a, to a servant, to a slave. This is not the type of work that you're allowed to enslave them. Um, you know, you're allowed to, to uh, subject a person to. And the way the Rambam interprets it halakhically is giving them endless, purposeless work as the Rebbe explained that spiritually that sometimes we're enslaved to Egypt to our inner Egypt our inner Pharaoh which causes us to um, serve something not God in a, in a manner that is endless and purposeless and that is the exploitation of the divine soul's capacity to serve God in a manner that is endless and beyond beyond self Verse 14, they embittered their lives. Here you have the word maror, which we'll, we'll eat on Pesach. With difficult, hard labor. With clay and with bricks. All kinds of labor in the fields. This, by the way, this verse is in the Haggadah. All their work, that they worked with them with back-breaking labors. Back-breaking labor. Verse 15, we have a new story. A new part of the story. The king of Egypt calls in the midwives. The Hebrew midwives. The name of one is Shifra. The second name of the second one is Pua. These are in fact, Rashi tells us, Shifra is Yocheved, the mother of Moses. And Pua is Miriam, who was the sister of Moses, who was not yet born. And the Torah calls them by these names, Shifra and Pua, because Shifra means the word Lishaper, which means to beautify. We had it in, in Jacob's blessing to Naphtali. He said, Anoisin Imri Shefer. This was Yocheved, and she was called Shifra because she beautified the newborn infant. And Pua, that's Miriam. Pua means to, to uh, coo, to the, to, the, to the newborn, like the women 
ku to a to an to a to a child that is crying. Rashi says that it's it's it has a sense of of crying, but it's hard to imagine that that's what it means literally. Because you don't you don't cry to a baby that's crying to calm them, you soothe them, you soothe them with some other cooing. Verse 16, So what does he tell? He tells them, When you deliver the Hebrew women, and you see them on the birth stool, Allah of Naim is literally the stone, If it is a boy, you must kill the child, the newborn. If it is a girl, it's a daughter, then she may live. Why does he only want to kill the boys? You say, well, it's kind of typical when you want to destroy people, you kill the boys, you take the women for yourself. But Rashi tells us something else. Rashi says what's going on over here is that they had they believed very strongly in astrology, and the astrologist had said that there's going to be a boy that is going to be born, and he is going to save the Jewish people. So therefore, Pharaoh says, no problem, we'll just kill all the boys and we'll thereby outsmart God again. Verse 17, the, however, Paro's plan did not go so well. Why? He didn't imagine that these midwives are actually not going to listen to him. And they didn't. Verse 17 says that the midwives feared God and therefore they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. What instead did they do? They gave life to the boys. Rashi says, not only did they not kill them, per Paro's instruction, they gave them life. It doesn't say they, they didn't kill. They gave them life. What does that mean? They provided them water and they gave them sustenance. That is today's Parsha. We'll share, I'm going to stop the share and open it up to questions and comments. Okay, so I'll, um, I'll kick it off here. Oh, there, God. Uh, with a possible alternative uh, explanation for the the count of 70 uh, which I read in like the the Midrash says or something like that a while back that um, instead of um, uh, Yocheved who was uh, uh, born on the border um, I thought I read somewhere that it was the Abishter himself that uh, counted as the the made up the you know, the 70th interesting beautiful Thank you for that. Well, my pleasure. Um, and also, uh, um, there was now I can't remember uh, uh, where where I read this uh, interpretation. The um, you know Paro ordered the killing of the boys, but let the girls live. Um, you know, if you want to uh, if you want to destroy um, a, a nation. Um, 
well let's see uh, let's see if I can organize this thought correctly um, you know there there are two types of uh, destruction there's the physical destruction and then there's the spiritual you know destruction and um, so I think that uh, uh, Paro was was going for the um, just the physical uh, destruction uh, but not the spiritual um, because the the women would keep the the spirituality going um, I think what I think what you're, you're, you're referring to is that he was trying to physically destroy the males and when he said Vihoya when he said that the the girls should live he meant that they would live as Egyptians uh-huh that he they would be assimilated into the lifestyle of of Egypt. So it's really kind of the reverse, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so there was uh, one as opposed to the other, right? And um, now, and this was contrasted uh, to uh, to Haman, uh, who was going to just take a, take everybody out. Right. It was purely. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I think Excellent. we. I think together we we uh, got it all <laughs> sorted out. <laughs> Well, thank you, Eric. Well, he was, uh, I think he really was trying to break them physically, certainly with back-breaking work, and, and psychologically, he thought, emotionally, with their spirit, um, he'd break that too, he thought. He had no idea. I mean, to say that they could become stronger and, and greater in number, even with all that punishment, I mean, that says a lot about their, their commitment to God amazing right although it's an excellent point bill although by the end of the story by the time moses comes along the men at least can't even hear the story the message of moses that they're going to be redeemed they they're they like of shortness of breath and the difficult labor but you're right at the beginning there is a perseverance that we see with god's blessing be hard to keep that going for a long, long time. Right, right. So, 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 so I, I was going to ask you well, one thing that's kind of curious to me about, you know, um, you know, I mentioned this when I was at your uh, house uh, a week ago about the notion of, you know, as far as when Joseph remembered his dreams, it, it just kind of resonates and, and the Pharaoh did not know Joseph. I mean, the two are kind of parallel in a certain sense. You know, um, there's this kind of spiritual this kind of a lack of a kind of spiritual how could i characterize this i mean a lack of understanding that it kind of abuses and that kind of parallel that like the two senses has that ever been discussed or is there any connection with that i mean there's just the the word no as far as he does not know joseph has there any discussion of the kind of spiritual or kind of hasidic aspects of that do you mean that just like the brothers didn't accept the dream of Yosef, now Paro is, is rejected? No, no, I mean, okay, there, there, there was a Prussian, a, a Prussian kind of, for which I kind of allergy with, where Joseph remembered his dreams, you know, right? Right. You remember that? Yes. Right, and this kind of, this is like, a, it kind of resonates in a certain way as, as, the, as they, they did not know as far as... Um, the Pharaoh did not know Joseph or something. I mean, the two are kind of parallel in a certain sense. How do they, how do they parallel? So he remembers his, 
when his brothers start coming and bowing down to him, he remembers his dream and says, oh, here they are. And, 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 clear there, and clear there was a kind of there, there was a kind of awareness, a kind of connection, which clearly didn't take place. A lack of kind of knowledge of kind of Joseph's impact at that point. I mean, there's kind of, you know, I mean, it, maybe, maybe, maybe it just doesn't make. Uh, there's, there's no, uh, there's no connection. But I just, it, it just resonated with me in a certain way. The king did not know him. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen anything on that, but it's, um, it's a good point. All right, friends, we are out of time, over time. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, and we look forward to keeping this thing going tomorrow night as we delve deeper into the Parsha. Ashikoya, Rabbi Marcus. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you tomorrow. Until mañana. Hasta mañana. Thank you. Laila Tov.